This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hi, everyone. It's Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access. And Brent Butterworth, departing editor of Soundstage Solo. Boo. (laughs) We both, (laughs) for now, at least as time of recording, write for the Soundstage Network, which is a collection of nine microsites that cover all sorts of topics in audio. From, like, super cheap things for, I don't know, 50 bucks to things for, I don't know, maybe half a million bucks? Yeah. And a few things in between, too, not just the extreme. (laughs) Yeah, we actually respect the middle. Yeah. So, yeah. So, this week, we're going to be talking about what interests us right now going on in audio. And I want to start with Robert Harley's editorial from the February edition of The Absolute Sound. Mm -hmm. Um, Harley's talking about something that uh, gets under his goat a little bit. I think that's the Mm -hmm. term. Gets his goat? Gets under his goat. Gets gets under his skin or gets his goat. There, it, it ticks him off. He is all gets hot and under bothered. his goat's skin. Yes, there we go. Something. It gets under his goat's skin. He yeah. is mad about speaker sensitivity ratings. Mm. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. I think we've got some things to say. What do you want to talk about this week, Brent? I want to talk about um, there is an article or a, a, a review that's in uh, Positive Feedback, which is an online uh, used to be a, a published magazine. I don't think they publish it anymore, but, um, That's it is, well, I mean, who, I mean, very, the, look, it's the, the, ec- the economics of magazine publishing or, you know, the, 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 that, that problem is well known. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I think they did have a magazine at one point, but I, but they don't now, I assume. So, um, there's an article by, uh, Robert Levy. I hope I'm mm. pronouncing his name right. Um, the world premiere, the Zesto Audio Eros 500 Select Class A Monoblocks. And there's a lot of things he talks about in this review. This looks like a lovely amplifier. I would love to own it. It's beautifully made. I've met this guy who designs them. I think he's got his act together. But (sighs) a lot of the arguments made in this review are do not stand the test of, 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 of logic and critical thinking. And if there's one thing that the soundstage audiophile podcast is about, it's logic and critical thinking. Yes, sir. At least we hope our, <laughs> At least our, we our hope. striving, our striving, <laughs> our constant struggle yeah. to <laughs> achieve logic and critical thinking. Do we have, uh, are we talking about anything else? We are actually, we're talking to anything else. We're talking to someone else. (laughs) We're going to bring our friend Jeffrey Morrison in. Jeffrey is taking over Soundstage Solo um, as of February 1st, I think. And um, yeah, we're going to talk to Jeff about his sort of plans for the site, what he's going to do differently, and uh, what he's got coming up in terms of his first discussion, I think. I'm looking forward to that. We might go there. I don't know. It's To be honest with you, listener, dear listener, right now, we're going to bring our buddy Jeff in and we're going to talk to him and we're going to have some fun. Um, yeah. And then we're going to we're going to say goodbye um, on I guess this. We will. Yeah, this this 
season one grand finale of the soundstage it audio kind of is podcast that. yes it kind it of is, is. but this there is will be a, a season two there will be yes absolutely. with some new stars mm-hmm. yeah. and um i think who's going to produce that season two i'm going to produce it i'm just ah. not going to be on the mic yeah so it'll just so. be a burger production as opposed to a butter burger <laughs> production it doesn't have quite the same ring does it no, I have to might have to come up with a better name. So, burger with cheese. <laughs> Maybe Royale with cheese. <laughs> Royale with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. We'll see. Who, we'll see who the host ends up being. Then we'll see if the cheese thing is is warranted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, shall we? Let's, shall we yeah. segue into some intelligent discussion here? Yeah, let's we're take capable. the let's take the attention off of me and put it under Robert Harley because he is let's his his editorial in the new issue of the Absolute Sound uh, cover dated February twenty twenty three. Um, mm-hmm. look, it raises I, I have good to, questions. It raises I, some very important questions. Yeah, I have to admit, I have a little bit of uh, sympathy for Robert here, um, because we have all in the past had a deadline and thought, crap, what am I going to write about? Well, I might as well cause some outrage, <laughs> right? Let's get some readers mad about something that maybe they don't really need to be mad about. Well, it's a high end audio publication. That's what well, the, that's. That's their business model. That is kind of their business model. But the article is titled Lies, Damn Lies, and Speaker Sensitivity Specs. Mm-hmm. Brackets, with apologies to Mark Twain. Okay. Um, what he's talking about here is that I, mean, I think for quite some time, we all got used to the sensitivity rating of a speaker, which basically is just like, how loud can you expect the speaker to play given a standard input, right? Mm-hmm. We, 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 we saw those rated as one watt at one meter. You fed yeah. a signal, one watt of power into a speaker. You measured it for one meter away. What, how many decibels were you getting? Right. And that was yeah. your sensitivity rating. Right. Well, what Robert is angry about here is that mm-hmm. he is more and more frequently seeing speakers rated, not one watt, one meter, but 2.83 volts, mm-hmm. one meter which as he rightly points out 2.83 volts into eight ohms is one watt, but not four ohms. Right. So he's grumpy about this. And Mm -hmm. basically his, 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 uh, his complaint here is that it effectively makes the speaker appear more sensitive than quote unquote, than it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So what Mm -hmm. do you think about this, man? Okay. So this, this article really, made me think a lot and it actually made me do something i've never done for the soundstage audiophile podcast actually research the topic um, <laughs> and i researched it in the best possible means so here's the thing i've been doing speaker measurements since 1997 i think and um so much of what I, and you know, there's not a school for speaker measurements sadly there's not even really a definitive book on it um, uh, there are books that deal with it, but, uh, there's not one that's like, Hey, you know what? Here's what people are doing. Here's mm-hmm. what makes sense. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, things like that. So, um, I, you know, so many people that measure speakers just do, you know, sort of best practices and what other people tell them that they're doing. And if you're a reviewer who measures speakers, you're going to have chats with people like 
you know, uh, Andrew Jones and Paul Barton, and you're going to find out what they do, and you'll find out the things they do that are standardized and the things they do that are not standardized, mm -hmm. that are just kind of common best practices generally understood. But and I have always um, just done my speaker measurements, my sensitivity measurements at 2.83 volts, okay, which is one watt for an 8-ohm load, okay? Mm -hmm. Because as far as, as as far as you know, everybody else I ever talked to, and you know, once you start doing measurements, you have a whole different discussion with speaker manufacturers. By the way, mm -hmm. you have a much higher level of discussion, and yeah. which you cannot have that discussion if you don't do measurements because they, you're not on the same level. So. Mm -hmm. I just sort of assumed everyone was doing 2.83 volts. And I've seen that spec, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will say one watt, one meter. Sometimes they'll say 2.83 volts, one meter, whatever. So what I did was I called my old friend Vance Dickinson. Now, for those who don't know, Vance is the author of the Loudspeaker Design Cookbook, which is in, I think, I think has been printed, has gone through seven editions mm, and has yeah. been translated into, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, a dozen languages. So it is kind of the definitive book. There's, by the way, new edition coming out pretty soon, which is substantially updated because I, I know because I kind of did some editing and chatting with him and stuff and yeah, helped him out yeah. a little bit on it. A little bit. <laughs> I helped, you know, I, I did about point Oh, one percent of the work on it. I just, I, you know, because I'm a, I'm a good sounding board for him because I'm kind of out there doing different stuff than he does. Anyway, so Vance is yeah. that. Vance has designed speakers for umpteen zillion people. Uh, he's also done a couple of his own lines. He's worked for main, you know, huge CE manufacturers. He's worked for little tiny speaker manufacturers and everybody in between. And he's also the editor of Voice Coil, which is the sort of trade and technical publication of the speaker industry. So he tests yeah. speaker drivers and all kinds of stuff in there. And there's all kind of technical discussion. And he is at, in my opinion, if you want to find an answer about speakers and get an honest, authoritative answer, you call Vance Dickinson. Okay. So unfortunately, he's a good friend of mine and he was kind enough to kind of take me under his wing when I knew nothing about this stuff. And so... Oh, and by the way, he also used to be like the guy who taught speaker measurement for the LMS company that made like one of the first real good speaker measurement systems. So, I mean, he is just the master yeah. of this stuff. So I called him up and I said, I explained the problem to him. And I said, look, Vance, everybody, I mean, so often we see it specced at, at one watt, one meter, but to my knowledge and in, in my experience, everybody does 2.83 volts. Mm -hmm. I said, is that right? Or, or, or are there people that do, you know, a four ohm rating or whatever their speaker is, is whatever the impedance of their speaker. And, you know, with a four ohm speaker, you would use a two volt signal. Okay. Um, he said, look, basically the one watt thing was standardized decades ago. And it makes sense. Or I'll, I'll, I will interject here for a second. It makes sense with headphones. Okay. Headphones are measured at one milliwatt. Mm -hmm. And, you the reason you do that is headphone impedance varies radically. You can have headphones that are eight ohms. You can have headphones that are eight hundred ohms. Okay, mm, yeah. With speakers, the nominal impedance is almost always between four and eight ohms. And yes, there are speakers that go higher. There are speakers that go lower. And no speaker, except for like some teals, has like a flat impedance curve. 
Okay, or I should say yeah. extremely few speakers have a flat impedance curve. So that speaker right. that's rated at eight ohms probably goes up to, you know, probably drops down to six at some point and probably goes up to 30 or 40 ohms at some point, right? So, yeah. So anyway, um, he said, basically, the old one watt standard is from decades ago and nobody does it. Everybody yeah. does 2.83 volts. He said, you could do the forum thing if you wanted to, but he, he's completely unaware of anybody doing that. Yeah. Then you get into problems. And this is a problem where I, I think Robert Harley could have raised a, a, a fantastic point, which I will raise now. Mm -hmm. And that's that still speaker, even if you, if the whole industry said, okay, you know what? Screw it. Forget the one watt thing. We're just going to say 2.83 volts. We're going to call it voltage sensitivity, which is mm. exactly what it should be. Yes. Right? That's well, I mean, that's, you know, fun. that's what an amplifier is giving you is, is controlled right. variable voltage, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it exactly. makes sense. That is the primary thing that you're wanting an amplifier to give you is precise right. variable voltage. Yeah. Here, here's the big problem is, mm -hmm. well, and then I said to Vance, well, what does that really mean, though? Is that at? one kilohertz or is that at um you know which of course if you look at frequency response things if you measure at one kilohertz well a speaker might have a big peak at one kilohertz and all of a sudden it's got a higher sensitivity rating or it might have a dip or whatever so it's, yeah. it's kind of useless or you know there's kind of an industry standard i think it's an actual industry standard but i'm not sure a guy named mark peterson who used to do measurements for home theater and who did them for thx and stuff um kind of hipped me to this and <laughs> so often you talk to somebody in measurement and they say, oh, I do this. And you're like, that makes sense. I'll do that too. Mm -hmm. um, and so he averaged from 300 hertz to 3000 hertz, which is what I have continued on soundstage solo in the headphone sensitivity measurements because I think it hmm. makes sense. You know, that way a speaker that has like a giant bass hump doesn't get an extra rating because what matters is, you know, kind of the mid range where your ear is most sensitive. Right. Yeah. So 3K to, to, you know, 300 hertz to 3K makes a lot of sense to me. But, you know, Vance pointed out to me, he said, well, I measured a Beats speaker once, you know, a Beats, you know, Bluetooth speaker. Mm -hmm. And he said the treble was 15 dB hotter than the bass. Wow. He didn't remember which one it was because, but I know because it was the Beats pill because I measured it too. Mm. And it was so bad that a competing manufacturer called me up one day and said, Hey, have you heard the Beats pill yet? I said, no. <laughs> and he happened to live in the LA area. He says, I'm bringing it over right now. You have to hear this thing. <laughs> oh, wow. This is sort of thing like where you eat something disgusting and you're like, you got to try this. <laughs> and he brought it over and I ran a measurement. I, I, I listened to him. I'm like, oh, my God. It had, you think of Beats as being like colossal bass. This thing had no bass at all, like nothing. I have one inch drivers, you know. But anyway, yeah. I don't know who voiced it. Not, not Dr. Dre. No. Anyway, so. He said, you know, if you've got the, the if the treble is 15 dB hotter than the bass, how do, wh what do you call the sensitivity of that product? Yeah. You know, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, so sensitivity ratings are if you look at what I do on Soundstage Solo, you at least the rating is all entirely explained about how I do that. OK, right. I say it's, you know, the the it's, you know, the rated, you know, the sensitivity you know, calculated for the rated impedance of 32 ohms or whatever mm -hmm. is X for one milliwatt average from 300 to 3K, okay? And and I think it's safe to say, like, that is very important in your measurements for solo specifically because people want to know 
am I going to be able to drive this thing with an, uh, a smartphone, a, you know, portable music player or exactly. a smartphone or, yeah. you know, the headphone output on my laptop, you know, exactly. things like that. Yeah, exactly. So speaker manufacturers should do this. There's absolutely no reason for them not to do it. And then there's another problem of like some people rate their speakers for anechoic sensitivity, mm. which is sort of the quote unquote right way to do it because that's repeatable and defined especially yeah. if you're 300 to 3k because then you know anechoic chambers are not perfect below a certain frequency right unless they yeah. are humongous which only a few are right so they have a correction curve on the anechoic chamber even like the ones at Harman and places samsung and places like that but um so but but within 300 to 3k that's really easy to do you could even do that in a room that's just covered with a lot of insulation and stuff you don't need anything or you could just do it out in your backyard yeah. and it's very very simple to do and it's very repeatable uh however it's not real world because when you bring that speaker into a room it's going to play louder because it, it gets reinforcement from the room so a lot of people will say you know in room sensitivity and call it 3db more yeah. But they don't usually define how they got to in-room sensitivity. They actually measure it in a room and what room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. This just goes on. The, the, the variables just go on kind of forever here. And it is a big problem with speaker sensitivity measurements, although I will say usually I find speaker sensitivity measurements aren't too far off. Yeah. Now, yeah. Can I address something else in this? Or I know I'm rambling here, but well, the, I, I, I want to do address really something real quick. Okay, Let me ahead. jump in and then you go because you've you've, okay. rant, you've ranted for a while. I'm running out there, of breath. <laughs> yeah, go breathe. Um, so there's the little there's a little uh, subhead that he's got here that says the spec is technically accurate but misleading out of context. Brent, let me interview you for a moment. Okay. Yes. Have you ever, in the entirety of your time working in consumer electronics? found a specification that was not misleading out of context. <laughs> like all specifications are misleading out of context, right? Well, that's a good point. That is a very, I didn't think about that, but that's a very good point. And specs are often, you know, quoted. <sighs> specs are very often quoted in a misleading way. It's, yeah. it's very common. I mean, you can say that your speakers, I mean, I've seen how many speakers that, that are just complete pieces of junk that you, and they say, Oh, it's flat from mm. 20 to 20 K. Yeah. And you're like, no, it's not. But maybe they found some way to measure that to where it, it is flat. And then you, you would, or just, it's sort of like, um, audio video receiver power measurements, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. you can do things like just measure one channel at say six ohms yeah. to get the maximum possible output measurement out of there. And you might get 180 watts or something out of a receiver, but then when you measure it with all channels driven, you got dropped down to 30 watts a channel. Yeah, because I mean, you you <laughs> yeah, you still got to have a power supply. You've got yeah. to supply the thing, and yeah, that's that's the limiting that's the limiting function of it. And yeah, so. believe me, manufacturers don't. Well, I think there are some manufacturers who like the fact that they can publish misleading specs. But I've had so many manufacturers tell me when I've said, "Hey, man, your specs are misleading." They're like, "Well, yeah, but." My competitor <laughs> publishes the same spec and his specs are misleading and he's publishing, yeah. he's making a soundbar that he rates at a thousand Watts that has a 40 watt power supply. Wow. And yeah. so and the manufacturer's like, I'd like to be honest, but I have to compete. 
Right. So it's a big, giant problem. And here is, I think, one possible solution to the problem is <sighs> reviewers have to dig deeper and start to really understand this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the way that you dig deeper is by doing measurements and then by reading the loudspeaker design cookbook. Mm. Okay. You will learn. I, I, <laughs> I've read, I gotta admit, man, I struggle so hard with that book. I, I read it and I'm like, I think I, I think I understand what I just read. I, I really don't understand what I just read. <laughs> well, know? it's heavy I, duty. It is yeah. very heavy duty. And however, the first time I read it, you know, I've been doing speaker measurements for, I think I kind of just started doing speaker measurements. Oh, no, wait, whoa, 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 ooh, whoa, no, I had not yet done, not yet started. And that's how, and I bought it thinking, like, I really should learn more about this stuff. And that's how I got to know Vance, because Vance was designing speakers for Atlantic Technology. And I mentioned mm. to Peter Tribe in Atlantic Technology that, Oh, I just read this book and it was just illuminating. It's like, I understand how crossovers work now. And Peter said, oh, well, he does stuff for us. I'll introduce you. Oh, cool. It's like, oh, okay. And and Vance also just turns out to be the coolest guy ever. So, um, but so, (sighs) all right. I need to recharge for a sec because I have something else I want to, did I fully answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a joke question anyway. It was just simply like, okay. have you ever seen a specification that had not been used in a misleading manner? I mean, it's all of these specifications. All of these specifications are are used misleadingly, but also on in the, on their own terms, they they don't really mean much until you combine them. Like you know, we talk about the difference between measuring with two point eight three volts and one watt. Well, the mm-hmm. reality is that one watt is calculated by you know the voltage times the the um the the impedance or mm-hmm. the, you know the the voltage and the impedance you've got to take all of that into consideration yeah. so 2.83 volts is the consistent thing anyway i'm sorry i'm rambling right. too but exactly. you know uh, it's voltage sensitivity is what we're measuring even if we don't say we're measuring that yes we are not measuring power sensitivity which is right. watts okay now here is a the, one of one of the two prop the, the two paragraphs i have a big problem with in this article mm-hmm. um this isn't to say that you should, I'm, I'm quoting, this isn't to say that you should avoid 4-ohm speakers where sensitivity is measured with a drive signal of 2.83 volts, only that you should subtract 3 dB from the sensitivity spec to find the speaker's true sensitivity to compare it with speakers measured without the 4-ohm 2.83 volt trick. It's not a trick. It's not a trick. It's not oh, a trick. Man. Yeah. Okay, because... Now, Dennis, if you put a 2.83-volt mm. signal, this is my technical quiz for you. On Uh-oh, the spot, crap. quiz. I'm, I'm never good at these. You're in big trouble. If you measure an 8-ohm speaker with a 2.83-volt signal, and it puts out 90 dB at one meter, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you measure a 4-ohm speaker with 2.83 volts, and it puts out... 90 dB. Which one's louder? <laughs> well, what weighs more, a ton of lead or a ton of feathers? <laughs> exactly. No, this this is wrong. You should not subtract, as he says, you should subtract 3D from the sensitivity spec. Yeah. No, you should not nope. because your amp is putting out 2.83 volts. If you turn your volume, your amp's volume up to 
10 o'clock or something, maybe it's going to put out two volts, three volts, five volts, whatever. It's going to put out whatever mm-hmm. that is. It's going to put that out into a forum speaker or an atom speaker and give you the same volume provided, provided that your amp can deliver enough current, current. Yep. to the four mm-hmm. ohm speaker, which at one watt, it can. Yeah. Even yes. a really crappy amp probably can do that. Now, yeah, those really little cr- Altoids amps could do that. Yeah, you know. So if but now if you're really cranking, right? If you're if you're playing your system at 100, 105 dB or something like that, yes, the amp might not be able to put out four ohms you might lose some bass response the amp might mm-hmm. shut down it might mm-hmm. distort something bad's going to happen however at a normal listening level the you know you put that volume setting at, at 10 o'clock it's going to give you you know with two speakers that are rated the same no matter what the impedance of the speaker is it's going to give you the same output level the yeah. same yeah okay that's yeah. one problem i have with this article and it's, I guess it's kind of understandable in a way is if you, if, yeah, if you look at the power sensitivity, which we've already agreed doesn't really matter. Yeah. Then yes, it should be knocked down three dB. Okay. Just like if you measured the forum speaker with a, you know, the forum speaker, a one watt signal is two volts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you reduce your signal level to two volts, which means turning your volume down on your preamp, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to get a 3dB lower sensitivity spec. However, it doesn't matter because what you're looking for is how loud does this thing play when I turn my amp up to six or something, yeah. right? And no, yeah. that it's, it's voltage sensitivity. The industry needs to kind of correct this. Mm. That doesn't need to kind of correct it. it. Needs to correct it. And one thing that you could do is you could have reviewers who understand this these things who do measurements who understand this stuff and fortunately there is a new crop of reviewers and let's say like you know aaron at aaron's audio corner Mm, who are digging deep into this stuff and explaining it and i hope we'll get more uh you know more active and and more influential and we'll we'll start to push the industry to really get their act together yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, this is easy for speaker manufacturers to do because you're doing the measurement. You understand the parameters of the measurement, right? Mm-hmm. So as you you as the speaker manufacturer, you understand right. the parameters of the measurement. Maybe the maybe the marketing guy doesn't, but the, certainly the engineers do. And the engineers could just say, hey, look, let's put a full spec in there so that we look good. Okay. Because believe me, you look you look way better to, to, to an, an audio enthusiast if you have specs in there that ex- actually explain things as opposed to obfuscate. Mm. You look good. That's a good marketing spin there to have like real specs. Yeah. You know? And by the way, put your crossover point in there and put what your crossover slopes are because even if the pe- person yes. reading it doesn't understand what that is or, or, or even the implications of it. You look smarter. So I just really think the whole industry is is not only is all is not you know, as, as Robert Harley says, is not only misleading the public. It's not necessarily misleading the public. It's just not giving the full story. And yeah. there's no reason why it couldn't give the full story. Now, I have another problem with this article. Do you know what it can you speculate as to what it might be? 
no, I can't, because I never know what's going to send you into a dizzy. I'll tell you what bothers me though, when he's talking about this, when he's talking about like the, the scores, dynamic markings, you know, when he's, oh, you know, triple forte may be reproduced as double forte. And, and, and I was just like, well, you're just making stuff up there, man. <laughs> you know, <sighs> second about the driver's voice call, heating up, it's electrical resistance and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, none of that is really, you're like, Give me an actual example of when you've been listening to a speaker and you've heard that happen because of this problem that you're ranting about. And and that would spoil the whole business know. model of high-end audio. Uh, <laughs> Actually providing real-world examples of something valid. you're talking about. <laughs> oh anyway what what uh what got under it's your actually the skin? same it's the same thing but, okay 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 there's there's two aspects to it he's talking about as a driver's voice coil heats up its electrical resistance increases yep 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 reducing current mm-hmm. flow compressing dynamics yep 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 and maybe even burning out the voice coil or who knows what um however he's acting as if and, and you know this is this is the old trope of uh in, in that same paragraph before there um, I'm trying to find where he talks about how uh, here, here's the quote. It's not that low sensitivity speakers can't sound dynamic and lifelike, only that these qualities seem to come more easily and universally to high sensitivity designs in my experience. Now, as me, as an audio writer, if I hear something and I think, huh, I think I'm hearing this. Mm-hmm. I don't go, well, that's it. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> All readers, this is the fact. I heard it. Therefore, it is a fact, and you should base all your buying decisions on this. What yeah. I do is I try to confirm it. I go like, mm-hmm. well, let me go pull up some panelists in and let them listen to this and see if they think the same thing. Or maybe I run some measurements. Or maybe I call you know, Vance Dickinson or, or Andrew Jones or Paul Barton or who knows who, right? Um, yeah. And I try to confirm it if I was actually reviewing like high-end speakers, which I'm not. But I would say like, hey, you know what? Here's two speakers that are high sensitivity. that are like 94, 95, something like that. Let's compare those to two speakers that are low sensitivity, like 85 dB, right? Put them with the same mm-hmm. amp, you know, get a good you know, 200 watt amp so nothing's getting compressed or anything. Right. And see which ones people prefer. Yeah. And then in a, in or a more importantly, sit, sit next to one of these high end guys and go, which of those is the lowest? <laughs> well, well, that would be awesome. Speaker. That ain't going to happen. But so, <laughs> yeah. or, or, and you know, even do it, you can even do it with like, you could even go, hey, man, and this would be a great article for any high end audio magazine to do if they're courageous enough, um, which they're mm. not. But um, Soundstage would do it. Doug should do this. Doug and Jeff should do this. Yeah. Doug and Jeff, I know you're listening. Do this. Um, you could get, you know, like a like a, a, a 10 or 15 watt single into triode tube amp with some really sensitive speakers and get like a couple of those and a couple of really sensitive speakers. And they get some 200 watt, you know, Dan D'Agostino thing or something like that and plug that into some 85 dB sensitivity speakers. You know, you have to get a couple different ones because the things that make you prefer a speaker are frequency response and also frequency response and frequency response. (laughs) Well, (laughs) also, you know, 
off-axis performance, which is frequency so, response. So, well, yeah, okay, frequency response. That whole thing wrapped up in this frequency frequency response. Okay. That's what matters. The sensitivity does not matter, and the sense of ease or blah 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 something. Yeah, fine. Confirm it in a blind test, then I'll then I'll take it seriously. But but you could mm. do a really good article on this. And hey, man, if it comes out that the speakers that are that are more sensitive do have a greater dynamic something or another, then great. Then you're confirmed. Then you can say, hey, man, we tried this and yeah. this is the result we got. And, you know, people and here's our methodology and people are free to try the same experiment and, re and report if they got a different result or some AES mm. guy can go, hey, you know, I tried this and blah, blah, something. And then you're providing useful information for people. I'd love yeah. to know the results of that test. I'd love to do that test. I would do that test if I had the, I mean, you know, I don't have any of that gear sitting around, but yeah. hey, man, maybe there'll be a point in my life when I do, and I will do that. Because, But Doug and Jeff, do this. Please do this. Yeah. This would be awesome. Yeah. So. This would be awesome. Yeah. Anyway. And the, the thing is, I... I kind of don't care what the answer is, right? I don't either. I don't care. <laughs> just, I just want to know the answer, right? I have not so, weighed yeah. in on all I've said is frequency response is what matters, and it's still going to matter way more than any of this other stuff. But hey, this oh, yeah. might matter kind of a little bit. I don't know. But also, you know, <clears throat> he talks about how, you know, the the speakers, you know, you, you get all this heating up of the voice coil and things like that, as if all things were equal and the more sensitive speaker had the same voice coil, which it does not. Okay. Mm. Typically speaking now there's two different ways to get power. You can make a, uh, like, you know, like with subwoofers, you have like these big giants, you know, with most subwoofers nowadays, you have a pretty big driver, maybe you have a big box, you have a big a surround that, loud, that lets that subwoofer driver move back, back and forth a half an inch or an inch or, who knows how far big fat tough surround that's hard to move back and forward and if you go to like an svs subwoofer right and you try to push that driver in it's gonna be a lot of resistance right oh yeah and so you got to throw yeah. a thousand watts at it but mm -hmm. if you want powerful deep bass it's not in a big box that's the only way to do it now you can yeah. also increase sensitivity you can also get a lot of output you can use a weaker amp but also like reduce the mass of your driver so you can use a thinner mm. cone and if you have a lot of money you can use beryllium which is really light and really stiff but you probably don't have a lot of money so you got to use i don't know maybe paper okay paper, paper is yeah. light and paper is a great cone material um mm. and you know you can't put one of these surrounds on there that has the big giant half roll that's made of rubber or whatever <laughs> you got to put like the little pleated little pleated paper surround that's doped around the edge which is you see on a lot of professional you know pa speakers and things like that and also on speakers yeah. that are uh on like some of the jbl like everest and things like that they'll use a surround like that because it's just it it they've got a big giant woofer on those speakers and you know and they've got a big cabinet and so they can do a higher efficiency sort of thing and also they're using horns which they want to make the whole thing more efficient so the woofer has to catch up to the sensitivity of the tweeter which is always going to be more sensitive almost yeah. always so but however you know you're going to have problems with that, that driver's going to distort more easily it's going to have a lighter voice coil all right which 
might saturate more easily with 100 watts than the voice coil that's on that big woofer that's got a big, massive, fat, giant voice oh, coil, yeah. which you can throw 1,000 yep. watts into, right? But mm -hmm. yeah, so you're getting lower mass on that, but it's, 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 to compare the two is, is ridiculous. So, so in other words, if I used you know, really fat gauge wire, you've got a big, giant coil on there that can take a lot of power, it's not going to have a lot of dynamic compression. Whereas you try to put a lot of a lot of power into a voice coil that's on one of these high efficiency drivers, high sensitivity drivers, I should. Well, either way. Um, I know they're not interchangeable for all those technical yeah. people out there, but for this purpose, <laughs> they're kind of interchangeable. Anyway, I was about to say, we're going to be getting a yes, very angry text from Sandy Gross. Right. I know, yeah. I know, I know, I know. But for this purpose, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah those are going to heat up a lot faster and have a lot more dynamic compression at very low power levels. Okay. So everything is not the same. And also as I think it was Ken Cantor, who was one of the co-founders of NHT told me like 30 years ago when I talked mm. to him about this problem, he said, you know, you, you got to realize that, you know, there's no free lunch and it's yeah. not like people that make, I mean, it kind of, Harley's article kind of implies that like, well, people that make, you know, low sensitivity speakers are just stupid. Why don't they make high sensitivity speakers? Because those have so much more, those are so much more dynamic and lifelike. I mean, he's not saying that, but isn't he kind of implying it? He's kind of How implying that, How could they be so yeah. unwise as just to not make all their speakers 94, 95, hell, 100 dB sensitivity? Um, yeah. But the fact... I mean, he's kind of saying if they did so, they wouldn't have to resort to this sort of chicanery. Right, exactly. And so... so as Ken Cantor told me, he said, you know, when you when you get higher, there's no free lunch. When you get higher sensitivity, you're you're compromising something else. And it might be mm. linearity in terms of of you know the, the frequency response of it. It might be distortion, it might be all sorts of things, but there's no free lunch. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. can we wrap this thing up? I'm tired of ranting. <laughs> absolutely because i know you're really not going to have anything to rant about with our next topic, oh no which is no the most important and telling piece of equipment in your system indeed um or and something that, that is a direct quote so oh, yeah let's wait, go, wait 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 uh, whoa Sir oh man i missed that oh my god am i gonna rant <laughs> oh my god prepare people I'm going to rant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As the snowman would say, hang on to your ass, Fred. We'll be right back. Soundstage, Audiophile, Podcast. I'm Brent Butterworth. And I am Dennis Berger, and I'm really upset with you, Brent Butterworth. Why? I just dropped a high-quality smoking the bandit reference on you, and you didn't even get it. What was it? Snowman. Hold on to your ass, Fred. I never saw that movie. Oh, my gosh. Like, how are we even friends? It's a Southern thing. <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I, my whole thing. impression of Burt Reynolds is basically the Norm MacDonald impression of Burt Reynolds. 
you know, that's actually a, that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> I have to say. So anyway, I have to say. Anyway, what are we talking about right. this segment? Man? Round two is going to be. Yeah, ding uh, ding. This is in positive feedback. You can go. It's positive hyphen feedback dot com. Go check it out. A lot mm-hmm. of high-end audio reviews on there. This is the world premiere review of the Zesto Audio Eros 500 Select Class A Monoblocks. Now, you should go look at these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zesto Audio, yeah. Z-E-S-T-O, audio. Um, mm-hmm. th- this company really has great, I mean, so many high-end audio products are kind of plain black boxes. Or they're, you know, $5,000 worth of aluminum <laughs> wrapped yeah. all around them with not a lot of thought put into design. These are beautifully designed. Um Mm. There's some serious industrial design that goes into these. Um, they are, it's actually a mirror imaged pair of monoblocks. It's not just two of the same yeah. things. It really looks they have nice. this really cool wave pattern yeah, yeah. that it's just like, even in like the, the, the cooling vents, like the ventilation have this, this sort of wave pattern into the ventilation. That's just, it's, it's a recurring theme. That's just really, really gorgeous. And the, like the, 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 the case for the amp itself even has a wave element to it. Yeah. I mean, beautiful. if you're going to go buy Utterly an expensive beautiful. amp and you want something that looks awesome, this, this would be on your short list by far. Um, how much is this thing? I am strolling down to, the, I'm scrolling down to the end to try to find what's well, a long review. Um, 35 grand. I assume that's for a uh, pair. I actually doesn't seem unreasonable given what it is and there are six kt88s and they're running in class a rated at 250 watts per side boy if you're going to make a thirty-five thousand dollar pair of amps they better look like this if i had thirty-five thousand bucks to spend on amps man i gotta Mm. tell you there's a lot of amps where i look at it's like i don't know it's 40 or fifty thousand bucks i'm like really i know it's like Hmm. i know what it costs to make these things and i know there's so much thought there's so much money in the metal work and stuff but with these i look at this and go like man these are these are really cool and this is one of the Mm -hmm. few high-end audio products where people would walk into your house and go like what's that that's pretty cool (laughs) yeah Yeah. so i have so i'm assuming i'm assuming that you then must agree with robert levy's introductory sentence which let me let me just read it let me quote it directly the more I immerse myself in this hobby since I retired from the entertainment industry in 2008, the more certain I have become that the amplifier is the most important and telling piece of equipment in your system. Okay, can I? Can, True can, or false? Can, can I? Uh, all right. <laughs> Before I do that, can I just say, I don't know. Yeah. I, this is a long review. I'm not going to scroll down to. I probably agree with his conclusion that these are delightful amps that you know like 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 almost every high-end audio review concludes hey this is a a beautiful product and if this is something if you're looking for something in your price in this price range you should consider this okay Mm -hmm. i mean how many high-end audio reviews don't end like that so safe assumption but Mm -hmm. um i have problems with this i mean you can look into you know we were talking about uh you know logic and critical thinking and he says the next sentence is it was in the late 1970s that Jay Gordon Holt stated in Stereophile that one should buy a very good speaker that fits your needs and then bust your budget on an excellent amplifier. All right, Dennis Berger, from a standpoint of, of logical fallacies, <laughs> what is the logical fallacy in that sentence? Oh, crap. Oh, man. I don't have this one that I've written about a lot. I don't have the list memorized the way I you do. do. Okay. I recognize it's an appeal. It. Like, what it's is an it? appeal to authority. 
Oh yeah, Durr. Okay, Durr, Jay Gordon Holt yeah. is was yeah. he's passed away yeah. a long time ago. Was this really brilliant, smart audio expert? And he said this, so it must be true. Hmm. This is a problem. All right, Jay Gordon Holt. I am an incredibly fortunate person, and that I knew Jay Gordon Holt. Um, I was not merely acquainted with him. I was at a stereophile show. I think I was at some dinner. Maybe it was like B&W had a dinner. It was in Miami. And, um, you know, it was one of those shows where like everybody's staying at the, the, the shows at the hotel and everybody's mostly staying at the hotel. And um, mm-hmm. I, I ended up sitting next to Gordon at, at dinner with B&W. I'd never met him. And I'd been reading stereophile for a few years. And I was just really loved it and of course he was he had already sold it by then he was still doing occasional reviews for them and he was still kind of a a bit of an eminence grise you know uh, a guiding light to some extent now because he along with harry pearson are really the guys who kind of invented high-end audio publishing so anyway so gordon and i kind of struck up a conversation and he said hey you want to go uh go hit the bar and continue this conversation i'm like yeah and so um, hmm. those who know gordon know that he was a champion of drinking and smoking and um as am i and you know we sat and drank bourbon or scotch or whatever and we closed the place down i think it was wow midnight or one one a.m <laughs> and finally they wow. ran us out of there we just talked non- it was I, awesome i would have loved to be a fly on the wall for because that. gordon yeah. so much of my attitude about audio reviewing comes from reading gordon and i found him to be a very curious person i found him to be someone who was usually not always usually doubted his own conclusions and he Mm, was a real searcher as opposed to some of the people in the audio biz who are like well i believe this and therefore it's true and he wasn't like that however some of the stuff he said now granted he was Back in the really, really early days before we had any real science on this stuff. And so he, like so many other people, like Julian Hirsch at Stereo Review and uh, lots of other people, were trying to find the answers on their own with limited resources, very Mm. limited measurement capability, if any, and just fumbling around in the dark to try to find the answers. But Gordon was wrong about that. He was right about a lot of things. Yeah, he was wrong about that because if you, well, I'll I'll tell you what you already know. Should I Mm. tell you or should I pull it out of you through questioning? Oh boy, just tell me. Okay, we got to get we got to get this thing wrapped up. I know, I know. Jeff coming on soon. Here's the thing: you can blind Mm -hmm. test speakers. Anybody can tell Mm -hmm. speakers apart in a blind test. There are huge. Easily yeah. observable differences. This is all confirmed through science. In amplifiers, mm-hmm. if you do a blind test with two of them that match levels used within their limitations, you know, not running mm-hmm. one of not running a 30 watt amp at, you know, 100 watts or something, then if you do a blind test, people will not be able to tell them apart. There are, I think, occasionally people have there. Are, mm-hmm. If you go through all the AES papers, you will find a couple of little things here and there of where people were able to tell some things apart. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Toward the end of the review, he says, and I quote, I'll quote again, Mm -hmm. with 250 watts of class A power at the ready, they sound like 500 watt amps. Now, now, other than giving you, you know, 3 dB of additional gain, how could a 500 watt 
possibly sound different than a 250 watt amp. I mean, and and uh, taking into consideration that the only way that sentence is meaningful is if you've got a load attached to it, right? right. It's like, what does that even mean? How does a 500 watt amp sound like anything as compared with a 250 watt amp, right? I, it's... Do you have any sense of what he's even trying to convey? I mean, we both know that's garbage. Like, but what is he trying to say? I guess he's trying to say that they sound. What was the phrase Robert Harley used in the last segment? Because we're professionals, so we refer back to the last segment for entertainment value. <laughs> um, what did he say? He said, "Oh, the fortissimo, the the, the triple fort, uh, fortissimo versus double fortissimo, or something." I yeah, don't know. something. It's more. It's more effortless and more something or mm. another, whatever. So, but that. I mean, that's that's a good point. I'm just like, what does a 500 watt amp sound like? I mean, I can go. Mm. You can go buy, you know, 500 watt PA amps that are plasty and weigh like. <laughs> eight pounds and, yeah. but they're designed for pas and you know they're designed mm-hmm. to 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 have like just colossal amounts of power to drive some giant pa speaker at extremely loud levels without much concern for uh for for sound quality even though they probably for the most part work fine um yeah is that what a 500 watt amp sounds like yeah and they have they have thousand watt know. ones is, is a thousand watts better than 500 uh, <laughs> here's what i'm guessing i'm guessing someone at positive feedback decided hey guys we can no longer use the phrase it would be a value at twice the price ah. <laughs> so everybody's scrambling to figure out okay how do i say the same thing <laughs> right <laughs> so i don't know I'm, I'm speculating but to me that's just the only thing that makes sense like what 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 does it mean what could it mean i don't know it's just a. Here's the thing. It's like, oh boy, there ought to be kind of a a school for, you know, high end audio reviewers, like a certification program. Like in Europe, they have the Tonemeister thing where they have to do I don't know something or another, like identify something and actually know things. But anybody can, and you know, uh, 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 Robert Levy has, if I recall correctly, he's the president of the Los Angeles and Orange County Audiophile Group. And Ooh. I know he's been listening to this stuff for for a decade, but you don't just like you know. I've been driving cars for oh how long? God, four decades now, more. And um, yeah, I am not a you know, and I've spent thousands upon thousands of hours. I've got my ten thousand hours in in the car probably by now. <laughs> Does this make me a good driver? No. Does it make me understand anything about cars? No. I mean, my mom's got thousands of hours of driving in the car. Could she, could, could she tell you how a motor even works? No. I mean, yeah. um, it doesn't, you know, having passively experienced this stuff without having dug in and tried to learn as much as you possibly can about it. If you do that, you will forever be an amateur. Just like hmm. I am an amateur driver. Right. Let's talk about why that matters, because I think it's it's there's a danger in us sounding elitist yeah. here. Right. And saying, well, you should know the science fundamentals. But really, for me, what it boils down to is we are ultimately, hopefully trying to help people make more informed yeah. purchasing decisions. Yeah. And uh, and that is true. 
whether they are shopping for an $800 integrated amplifier or $35,000 monoblocks, yeah. right? It's, it's, I get accused a lot of, of not seeing the value in very high price components, which is mm-hmm. not true. You know, I just think we should be honest about where the value proposition lies, yeah. right? Um, and so, you know, we talked a lot about this, the, the, the Zesto Audio Eros 500. Mm-hmm. I think you and I have been honest about at least where we think the value proposition lies. It's not, nobody's saying these amps aren't worth $35,000. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to think like, here's, if we had $35,000, here's why we would be willing to spend $35,000 on these amps. But, yeah. and these tube amps, look, I mean, not, these things have, have six KT 150s in there. I mean, these, these there yeah. aren't a lot of tube amps that'll, that'll, that'll deliver just awesome power. Like I assume <laughs> this thing will. So this thing's probably right, got a yeah. lot of kick to it. You could put this into some full range speakers with, with 15 inch woofers or God knows what. And it would probably yeah. sound way better than most tube amps and better than a lot of solid state amps. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's, who really needs 250 watts per channel? Almost no well, who needs 500 horsepower in a car. Exactly. Exactly. But you might want it. <laughs> right? You might want so, it. That's fine. Yes. Knock yourself out. Yes. And there is nothing wrong with wanting it. You know, you know, pretty much, I guarantee you, you could hook almost any speaker to this amplifier except for maybe what were those old apogees the, oh what those the old apogees things, that were yeah. like we got down to like one ohm at some yeah point. they were brutal yeah. they blew up a lot of amps maybe maybe i wouldn't hook those those gigantic apogees to this thing but just they don't sell those anymore no. so just about any speaker that you could go out and buy you could confidently hook to this amplifier and not have yeah a but you can't save all so Correct. So there's value in that. There is value in not having to really think about specifications. There's value in going, you know, no matter what speaker might make my heart sing, I could hook to this amp and it would just work. I think really for people who can afford to spend $35,000 on an amp, that probably means more to them than anything. Just that, like, I don't have to care about it. I just buy whatever the heck I want and hook it up and it's going to work. There is value in that. So, but let's just be honest about where the value proposition sure, lies. Exactly. And so. I think I think our message is in certain ways anti-elitist because any schmo can go, you know, go read Floyd Tool's book, go uh go get the loudspeaker design cookbook. And I'm not gonna say you're gonna understand everything in there, but just let it wash over you. Um, you'll learn something, you'll learn a lot. Um and, you know, maybe there's a couple other good books you can read. Go read about this stuff and learn, which you're just not going to get on audio forums and you're not going to get on, uh, not that you can't learn anything from audio forums, but they're very up and down. And, and, and you know, yeah, you can, audio, audio publications for the most part don't dig into this. And I will always make an exception for John Atkinson's measurements in Stereophile. You read those things, mm. you're going to learn a lot. And he and he writes clearly, which <laughs> most of the most of the stuff is not written very well. Um, yeah. So, well, Floyd stuff is written beautifully too. So there's actually there's a, a lot of stuff that's reasonably well strung together. And actually, Vance's stuff is pretty clear. It's just that it's super technical. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, any yeah. schmo, you do not have to be a refined man of culture who listens, who's been listening to 
classical music for 50 years or whatever to appreciate good audio gear or to select good audio gear or to judge good audio gear or to understand audio gear. You do not have to be that at all. You have to go amass the knowledge. It's mm-hmm. just, and you know what? You can do that in if six months. If you want to influence what other people are purchasing, right? right? If you, you know, <laughs> That's it, the thing. You, and you can do that in six months. It's very anti-elitist. It just means it takes yeah. work as opposed to sitting around in your underwear listening to, you know, Wagner on tube amps. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think it is about time for us to take a break. It's Jeff time. Because I think it is a it is about time for our buddy Jeff to call yeah. in. So um, let's go grab some water. Let's go powder our noses and um, listen to some music. Cool. And we will be right back. Okay. to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. I'm Brent Butterworth. And we've got somebody new here with us. I am Jeff Morrison. Awesome. (laughs) It's true, you are. Yeah, so in this segment, we are basically going to be uh, introducing you to the Soundstage family as a whole. Jeff, I know you've already been doing some reviews and stuff for Soundstage Solo, but you are now going to be taking it over yes. um, as Brent Brent leaves us for more corporate pastures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Way, way to sell out, Brent. And less, you know, fewer nights spent measuring headphones. How, how dare you want things like health care and a retirement plan? I know. I should be <laughs> sacrificing my entire life for the audio industry, but um, oh well. So Jeff, you know, I have I recommended you for this job, you know. You did. And and um, I recommended you for the job that you're now taking full time. True. True. Um but so good. All right, so we don't owe each other anything. Um so This <laughs> <laughs> is a completely honest frank It is it might discussion. be a, a slightly amusing thing for the listeners, or at least to me, of like how often you and I have done that over the last twenty years. Of it's like a few times, you know. Like I, yeah, I. Well, we didn't have an overlap at home theater, but then you were editor at Home Entertainment, and then you left Home Entertainment to be freelance and recommended me yeah. to be the new editor there, which I did. And then I think, did we? It was just me and you, pretty much. Yeah, I mean that was, and it was for like two years. <laughs> Um, yeah. and then I, with a lot of pseudonyms, uh, <laughs> what, what, no, honestly, I think this might be the first time that that's ever been like put anywhere in public that we had been doing that to make it oh. look like that we had, uh, that we had more writers than we did, but yeah. really, oh, well, uh, reputation is, magazine is, is sullied now. <laughs> hey, that was it. The way I described that, that period of my life is like, that was an amazing 
the first year was amazing. The second year was difficult. And then the third year was just torture. Um, cause that was, uh, mm. well, anyway, that's a different story, but, um, but then yeah. I think maybe, did you bring me, did you recommend me to do stuff with sound of vision at that point? Or did that just happen? I did. Through, I did like, because I was, okay. I was, yeah, I was doing projectors and as soon as you became available, I called up Al Griffin, who was at the time, um, senior editor of sound of vision. And I said, look, right. How about if Jeff takes over doing Because I was only doing it as a favor to Al. Al asked me yeah. to do it. And I said, well, okay. And I was borrowing your measurement gear anyway. Yeah. And so I called up Al and said, hey, you know what? Jeff is like infinitely better at reviewing projectors <laughs> than me. Why don't you give this to Jeff? Because, you know, you were, you were coming off of that job at Home Entertainment. And I, and I was like, well, yeah. I hate doing this. Jeff likes doing this. He's good at it. And, you know, he needs a gig. So, but bam. Yeah. But it turned into being we we ended up doing a blog together at Sound of Vision, which that was I fun. Think, that was a good actually, time. Actually, that was our I, for both of us. That was our our finest hour. I just have to say we um, did it. We did that was a lot of fun <clears throat> because they just kind of let us just run wild, and we had a good yeah, time with that. They barely paid any attention to it. We had a they really great, did. and they we, paid it was well. So, it was like I could spend a week writing a thing, and yeah, you know. and and it and it was and you know it was it was super creative, and we collaborated, and we only lived a few miles apart at the time. So uh, I mean and. And we were all, we were on the same junkets all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so we were just constantly, but anyway, so, but so now the latest gig that we have exchanged is, um, editor of soundstage solo. Yes. Well, no, you're skipping one very important step, which what? was shortly after the sound of vision thing. Um, I started working with wire cutter and oh, that's right. I was one of the first people, I was one of the first wire cutters, um, yeah. And still, at the moment, the oldest wire cutter, because um, everyone else who was hired around that time has now either quit or the longest bought out, serving, out, whatever. The longest serving longest wire serving. cutter writer, the oldest yes. person at wire cutter. Oh, well, that's Brent Butterworth. Yes, fair. Very longest staff writer. <laughs> correct, correct. Um, of the 200 some odd people. The well, and that's exactly the point. When I started, it was like Brian, me, and like three other people. Yeah. And then slowly as we were ramping up, I was able to bring in. And so I was able to hire people like Lauren, like you. Uh, and around that time, Brian, um, he just let anybody like he, he, he trusted my my judgment on when it came to hiring. So if I was just like, hey, we need this person. He's like, yeah, OK, let's do it. Um, well, that explains how I got it. <laughs> and then there's this guy, Dennis. I mean, I <laughs> um, but then as that has kind of expanded more and more, I for various reasons that, you know, would be a podcast in and of itself has stepped back from that. And they started hiring more people full time with the New York times stuff. And then that brings us to where you okay, are now. now. We're at soundstage solo. Yes. Where you take over my role as editor in chief. Yes. And I have so many questions for you. Okay. Um, number one being every editor, and you, look, you and I have both been editor in chief of, multiple things that's true <laughs> um, yeah. every editor comes in and looks at what the old editor does and goes like yeah that kind of sucked i'm gonna fix that <laughs> so what are the things that i did that sucked that you're gonna fix <laughs> i mean i think really we need to focus on no more offense taken you know more apple products i think and oh, I mean, yeah. obviously airpods are the best headphones They're on the earth best. so yeah. really I, do, we, I, do we need to review anything other than apple products i, I, I totally understand. dropped the ball on on apple and, and what are these measurements? I mean, that's just too much information. You just have so many words yeah. <laughs> and graphs. I mean, come on. What is this, math? Come on. It's really pedantic and boring, and nobody should care <laughs> about that. 
You're right. It's going to be better. Well, I'll tell you this much. As, as, an, as an editor-in-chief who I feel can objectively, you know, look at maybe his own work, but certainly everybody else's, I will say your writing is fantastic. And Thank you, sir. has been for – I mean, I've watched you grow as a writer. And, and when I first met you, it was like every – Par- every every sentence was its own paragraph. Um, <laughs> I actually like- remember the first time we met. Do you remember the first time we met? Yeah, so we met when you were at, when you were at home theater, and I was with Dolby, and okay. you came in, and uh, I think maybe Mike Wood, who I think maybe was your was boss that over at the in time? like Burbank with it John was in, Kellogg. It was in Burbank, and probably John was there. John Kellogg from uh, formerly Dolby was there. Uh, I okay. think, and uh, it was at, um, uh, I think it was called Future Disc. Was, it was a mastering studio, really yeah. awesome mastering studio where all of uh, Motley Crue's albums were mastered. I still remember and that because that was one of the first, others. like, uh, yeah. one of the first important things I needed to do for home theater, and I was late. <laughs> of course. And um, well, it happened before noon. Of course, I was late. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so that's where I first met you. Anyway, so you're what, right. So tell me more about what your what your plans are for Soundstage Solo. Do you have? Um, I mean, am, I, am I putting you on the spot here? No, no. I mean, because obviously I've been giving it a lot of thought. Um, and I actually I've already written my my like greetings intro column kind of thing where, where I talk about this and depending on when the podcast goes up, it, that might already be live. Um, mm-hmm. and basically, you know, I, I, I kind of praise you, of course, being the, um, <laughs> the elder statesman of the audio world. Yes. Uh, it was like, I was going to say silverback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh okay. yeah. That, yeah, that works too. Uh, I mean, he is the Brad Butterworth. Um, mm. So, but my, my over my overall thought of it is like this is this is something that you have done a really good job building up and kind of creating an audience for. And I don't, I actually kind of feel opposite of what you were saying. Is like I don't really think there's any reason to just stir the stir the pot just to stir the pot, um, you know, or rock the boat just to rock the boat. Uh, maybe that's just my advancing years being the youngest person on this podcast uh, <laughs> uh and, and not i don't need to just kind of put my stamp on something and you know if it works it works um you know as a as a slight tangent uh, my roommates and i were watching the uh the new last of us series last night and we were just talking about how like a lesser creator would have just thrown everything out because they wanted to put their their mark on it and they thought that they were the the you know they yeah. were the thing. And Craig Mazin is, you know, I think one of the best, best TV writers going right now. Um, and if you're not super into TV, they, he also did the Chernobyl series, which on HBO, Ooh, which that was incredible. Awesome. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Um, he also has had a very long running podcast with John August for, I mean, since the beginning of podcasts, basically. But anyway, you know, in his hands, he's taking what worked from the game and not messing with it. He's like, no, this clearly works. There's a reason why this works. Let's just build on this, and you know what can what do we need to change to make it work for TV, and what should we keep because it it's the why people like this series, um, of you know or not series mm-hmm. of these games, and that's kind of how I look at this, where it's like this look this is this is working, uh, we don't need to just radically change things because just to change them I'm, I don't have that kind of ego, uh, I mean I do but not in this case, uh, but, uh, but but I think the only two changes that I would probably do just because I've through my career, I've found following my interests has done me pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have kind of 
less interest in the super cheap stuff and I have less interest in the super expensive stuff. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do those things, but, um, I just have kind of a more interest in, you know, what's, what's a, something good that, that someone wouldn't mind buying or maybe saving up a little bit for that's going to give them a better experience than, uh, you know, some more mainstream, you know, if someone wants to upgrade from their iPods, um, iPods, (laughs) AirPods, um, you know, that's, that's not a, that's not a heavy lift. You could certainly find lots of those. Okay. What do those look like? What does that mean? Uh, and then like I always said at home theater too, or, you know, or, or all throughout my reviewing years, it's like every once in a while you get a review of Ferrari. I mean, car and driver does. It's yeah. not all Camry's. You need that perspective yeah. of like, all right, well, what can you get? I mean, what just went up on the site recently was your Focal review. And those are like five grand, but that's important. We should have yeah. stuff like that to say, Hey, do you know, what does that sound like? What is there a reason something like that exists? Um, I think you made a pretty compelling case that it, you know, there is a good reason for that to exist. So, oh, you know, I good. still like doing a, a variation of a, a variety of things, but yeah, I, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Jeff, one thing I'm curious about in, in addition to being a very well-known electronics writer, um, and, and also, uh, the international best-selling <laughs> author of the unfinished <laughs> Undersea trilogy, with the third book coming soon, one hopes. Um, you're also sure. quite an extensive traveler and travel writer. <clears throat> um, and you know that we 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 joked years ago that we were going to try to write an API to basically just follow your Twitter <laughs> account and make a website called "Where in the World Is Jeff Morrison?" So I'm wondering. There's there's a point to all of this. I promise. I'm um, I'm wondering if maybe the fact that you travel so extensively and you spend months and months and months away from home on the road is going to influence how you cover headphones and and in, if so, in what ways? Uh, yes. Thank you for letting me talk about my favorite subject, my traveling. Um, <laughs> so yes, and to perfectly boast about it, um, last year I hit 60 countries and 50 states, uh, not all at once, but cumulative. cumulative. Um, and this year, you know, I'm, I'm certainly going to do a few more, but I'm not going to be doing as... It, before COVID, it was... You know, half the year or so I was traveling. Um, we'll see what this year looks like, but I, um, I've recently built out a camper van, so I'm going to do more, you know, US based trips and national parks and stuff. Um, but to answer your question more directly, uh, that's a huge part of, you know, headphones for me uh, is how they work kind of wandering around. And, uh, I've gotten a lot of flack from at least 50% of the people on this podcast of, uh, using the BMW C5 <laughs> series twos, which are some of my favorite headphones ever. And they are extremely bass heavy. And I don't deny that, but they are also very comfortable. They let in just enough ambient sound so that I'm not afraid that I'm going to get run over stepping out into the street. Uh, and they don't fall out of my ears when I'm walking around or hiking. So, mm. um, that's an important part to me. And a lot of the, uh, especially true wireless headphones, uh, earbuds, they, they're just not that great for moving around. And, mm. you know, even some of the ones that I've done for soundstage recently, where the cable just makes a incredible racket. Uh, uh, how do you walk around with something like that? If, is this something that's made to just listen to at a desk? That's fine. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of people, would want something that is a little more something you can use while you're moving around. 
And so that is going to, you know, impact some of the coverages definitely is, you know, what, a, what's a good noise canceling headphone for, you know, a certain price or, you know, but more importantly, what's a good noise canceling headphone that has good sound, you know, that's also important because yeah, I mean, what's the best noise canceling headphone? Well, it's going to be the Bose, but they sound okay. You know, can we take a slight hit in noise canceling and get it some better sound quality? Yes. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Uh, so that's, and then also what is it, you know, how do you travel, especially internationally, um, if you want to listen to music all the time, which I certainly do, what does that look like? And it's certainly, there are ways to do that that are fairly easy without running up, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of data charges. Cause you're listening to Spotify for a week and wherever, mm, um, never even thought of that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd love to get in. This is a bit of a stretch, but we'll see. But I'd love to get it. Sony just released some new Walkmans and they're pricey, mm. but they're super cool looking, uh, you know, yeah. and they hold tons of music. And I traveled with an iPod for years after that became, you know, people was like, why do you still have an iPod? I was like, I got a hundred gigs worth of music on there. Why do you think I have an iPod? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing is that, I, and that's, I, I've even talking to other tech people about that aspect and they're like well i just listen to everything on spotify it's like that's cool so what do you do when you don't have data because you're not going to always have data even my phone which works everywhere in the world doesn't always have data that i can use because some places just don't (laughs) you know you're in the middle of a national park on a nice hike and all of a sudden you lose signal and now you're walking in silence oh the horror yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I kind of I kind of came to that realization the last road trip that Brent and I went on, um, which was what Brent we went through Joshua Tree and uh Death Valley. Death Valley, that's right, in, in um, 2020. That was yeah, that was right before COVID hit. And, Beautiful, and I think that was the first time that I get became like consciously aware of the fact that having most of my music in the cloud was now a detriment yeah, <laughs> because, exactly. you know, I mean, we would be completely off grid for, you know, a day at a time. And, um, you know, thank goodness the conversation was interesting because there wasn't much we could do for music in terms of streaming. So yeah, that's, that's a really, it's a really important point. I don't think enough people talk about. So, yeah, I think, I think the people who kind of assume that it's always going to be there typically live in cities where they, they're mm. never without data or Wi-Fi, And it's like, that's cool. But that's not the case for, you know, like you said, a lot of national parks, but also even just rural areas in general, I think, are greatly overlooked by the average tech journalist. Uh, I mean, I've written, you know, slight tangent again, but like I've written about um, trying to get 4K over the air and trying to get 4K or any sort of TV to different places. And there's always a pushback amongst certain people who are like, well, you know, why don't they just get you know, cable or what, you know, why don't they just get better internet? Like, why do these, why do they, what does it matter if they're streaming? You know, they just stream this stuff. And I'm like, well, but a lot of places that maybe they're having to spend a hundred dollars to get five megabytes download. You know, yeah. there's not, that's not everywhere. And obviously that's a smaller percentage of the population, but those, these things, you know, having empathy is certainly an important thing. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. That's a good, you know, now that I think yeah. about it, that's a great angle. Like, mobile you know high high quality sound but mobile because yeah people review these things in their homes let's face it yeah uh they 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 very rarely review them on the go and that's been something that i've kind of realized in my review of noise canceling headphones is that i see so many people using these things 
But, you know, and I do fly and I always bring noise canceling headphones with Same. me, but I don't have, you know, if you have a pair of noise canceling headphones and you're, you know, traveling once a month or twice a month or something, um, you're going to find the problems that, uh, that like I wouldn't, you know, traveling with them once for one flight. Cause I usually bring like a couple pairs so that I have a little flight time with both of them. Um, yeah. And, you know, different areas in the airplane cabin will be different. And maybe, you know, maybe a two-hour flight is very different from a six-hour flight in terms of comfort, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the things – so I reviewed the the Bose, the latest earbuds um, mm-hmm. for Soundstage a couple months ago. And the noise canceling is, without question, incredible. I mean, it, I've never heard anything like it. And I've been covering these things for a long time. Um, but what – you know, and when I finish a review, I like to look around at what other people have said about the product just to make sure I didn't miss anything and just like, oh, that's an interesting angle, whatever. And I don't think I found any other review, at least not that I saw, um, that mentioned the fact that they don't have any way to connect analog. So yeah. if these things are going to be used on an airplane, which presumably they will be, you mm-hmm. can't connect to the in-flight entertainment without some other product that Bose mm-hmm. doesn't, as far as I know, sell. Yeah. Well, then how do I watch the crappy movies that are on the t- on the plane? You know, that means you have to bring your own content and that that's okay, I guess, but that's something that people need to know when they're buying these things, that they're not getting on a six to 10 or 12 hour flight and go, Oh wait, I, I can't use the the noise canceling headphones and watch this movie. Like that's a good point, something. especially since in flight entertainment is way better than it was five years ago. Oh yeah. Much better. Hmm. I mean, no, I, actually, I only fly I business watch class, it. so. Well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, credit cards with miles. They're, they work wonders. Well, I use my miles for, I don't know, something else. Buying ukuleles on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very on brand. Yeah. So um, – <clears throat> What else can we is what else can we ask you in terms of the uh, uh, has have they figured out who's going to do measurements yet? They have not. There's a couple things in the works. Um, we're kind of figuring out logistics for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's looking like it's probably just going to be me sending up chunks of headphones, and then someone else will pick them up to get to do the measurements. Um, but that's still kind of in the works. There might be like a short period of time where there isn't measurements, but we're hoping that'll but, minimize but that amount of time. they are committed to that, right? Meaning oh, Doug, 100%. Doug Schneider. Yeah, um, Doug is 100% committed to keeping them. And I want that too, absolutely. Yeah. And that goes back to the home theater days um, or you know, our, our sister magazine, Stereophile. Uh, I think John, I think you mentioned John Atkinson earlier. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought th- he always had a very good angle on this. And I think both you and I have done something similar where, you know, the reviewer can kind of say what they want to in the text of the subjective side of things, but it's important to kind of, you know, have also have the objective side of things. Um, and I certainly have done that with video measurements for a long time. Um, so, and like you do with, with audio measurements. So it's important. I think we need to have it figuring out the logistics of it is in the works. That's all I can say I'm, about that. I'm looking forward to it because there's limitations in my measurement gear, right? And let's just say headphone measurements are really expensive to do mm. because like the, the minimum piece, like there's a really cheap thing you can buy from mini DSP that costs 300 bucks and it is, oh, it is, has very limited utility. Um, it really is, it is very amateurish, but to get into professional gear, <laughs> 8,000 8, bucks basically. 
Um, mm. And it goes up from there. If you want a full like head and torso system, you're getting into, I think, 25,000 bucks or something. Mm. So it's, it's a big investment. And someone's going to have to make yeah. a big investment, as I did, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and however, my, my audio analyzer is, uh, um, it's a little, it's kind of out of date. And it's been upgraded. I've upgraded it several times at considerable expense, but it's kind of at the, at the end of its rope. Still really good for speakers, but not really, you know, headphones. For Bluetooth, it's really dicey. And I've said that in the measurements. I've said, hey, you yeah. know what? I, I, because of my analyzer, I can't measure this thing. And, or, or, you know, and there's cases where something freaks out in the system and the, I just can't get a measurement out of the, out of the headphones. I don't know why I can't, I spend hours and hours and hours trying to get it to work. But however, I believe if I remember correctly that the, the system they're talking about, they would switch over to an audio precision, which should do according to audio precision's marketing and the demos that I've seen at some seminars, uh, they can handle the latency of Bluetooth a lot better than my Audiomatica Clio can. So that could be a pretty giant upgrade in the measurements. So cool. stay tuned readers. This could be really good. Yeah. And you know, we'll <laughs> certainly talk about it when it happens. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. I think we should just say thank you to Jeff for joining us. And Jeff, I'm really looking forward to reading your stuff on Soundstage Me too. Solo. Um, you know, it's uh I think you're gonna bring a different perspective. And I think, you know, I think all of the travel stuff is gonna be interesting and fascinating. And I think maybe it's hopefully gonna make people I don't know, think about all of the stuff a little differently. So we'll see. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I'm uh excited to be part of the team. Thanks for coming on, yeah, Jeff. Man. Thanks, guys. So we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, listen to some music, get a little bit of water, and then we will uh, we'll be back to wrap up this uh, this first season of the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. Yay! Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Brent Butterworth. And I am Dennis Berger. And we are here to wrap up season one. <laughs> <laughs> Even though this is not going to be one of those podcasts where they, they do like a season and then they mess around for a few months. This is going to be a continuing effort. It's going to continue on. Season two starts, you know, two weeks after you after you hear this. Well, maybe not exactly two weeks, but you know, maybe sometime not two in weeks, February. But somewhere, yeah. somewhere, somewhere in February, you'll yeah. you'll you'll hear you'll hear the next edition. But it's we're saying it's season one because we are going through some big changes. Uh as we talked about, I am 
leaving soundstage to go work full-time for Wirecutter. I already have. I'm just wrapping up loose ends right now. Um, and Dennis, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to I'm going to keep producing the soundcast. I'm going to be engineering it. I'm going to be recording it. I'm going to be mixing and mastering it. But um, I just don't have any interests whatsoever in being a podcast host without you. We we work so well together, and you're one of my best friends in the world. You've been one of my best friends in the world for a very very long time, and I just don't have any interest in doing it without you. So, right back at you. Yeah. So, and but as, we, uh, as we, David Chesky one time said. He said, he said to somebody in the industry, he says, love you. And he says, I mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. But um, yeah, but we, as, as, as we as we have intimated here, though, we actually do have a little bit of insight into where the podcast is going to go from here. We didn't when we recorded the last episode, but we've sort of been privy to uh, the plans of Duck Schneider, the uh, founder mm-hmm. and guiding light of Soundstage, about what he is going to do with season two going forward. And I'm not we're not going to spoil that, but I think it's really interesting, and I think it's going to I think the podcast is going to take um it's going to head in a bit more of an educational direction which i think is interesting and i think like schoolhouse rock (laughs) maybe maybe with a little less rhyming little songs yeah (laughs) but i think there's going to be much more of a of of an educational element and a much less of a ranty element um (laughs) maybe a little less jazz music but um i think it's really interesting and i can't i can't wait to listen to it i think it's going to be really great so cool i hope so i'm looking forward to listening to it too yeah but um, and uh I, I would like to take this chance though to thank all of the people who've listened to us over the last year mm-hmm. and and to uh to thank all the the i mean we've been pretty hard-hitting in this podcast a lot of times mm-hmm. not not least of all in this episode yeah and um you know i just want to say um I haven't gotten any nasty emails from anybody, so that was nice. <laughs> well, and, we did get uh, some I nasty appreciate... emails for getting our dates wrong a couple of times. <laughs> True. Well, we, yeah, yeah, but it was that that sort of stuff. But it was not the, none of the people we criticized kind of came back at us. Yeah, maybe they did on their own podcasts, but I don't know. I didn't. I haven't heard it. Mm-mm. And so I thank them for their their good naturedness. Yeah, and uh, you know, if they want to lob some criticism at us. Hey, bring it on, man keep the conversation going yeah um you know it's like when we start to accept things in audio they're like oh yeah this is true that's when we start to get in trouble and that's when we start to waste tons of money and buy crap that doesn't work <laughs> yeah absolutely so as we as we wrap up this season one grand finale do you want to you want to do some credits one last time brent let's do some credits i'm proud to say this has been a butter burger production (laughs) absolutely and this has been a presentation of the soundstage network which as we mentioned in the intro is a collection of nine microsites that cover all sorts of topics on audio from uh you know solo which is about headphones and will continue to be um access is about very affordable high value gear we have sites that cover ultra high end we have sites that focus on you know the the software the movies and the music that we all play in our systems Mm -hmm. and uh yes so check it out soundstage.com you'll see all sorts of content there um who's doing the music um, this time man we're the music's going to be a combination of me 
and some of my pals like Dan Gonda and Ron Seiger. Excellent. And um, and also we'll throw a piece from Terry Landry in here, our good friend mm. who has and, and you know, you'll know Terry's stuff because it is far more sophisticated <laughs> than mine. Mine is the simplistic showboaty kind of stuff. Terry's has like lots of fancy chords in it, which I don't understand, but I'd love to listen to. <laughs> well, I love them both. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. I appreciate it. This is um okay. this last year has been the hardest of my life. And I have to say the 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 doing the podcast with you, Brent, has gotten me through some really, really rough times. So I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. And and it's gotten me through a lot of through a move and through all sorts of adjusting to my new surroundings here and yeah. all sorts of stuff. I can't wait to so. come visit you. As soon as I'm able to fly, man. It's gonna be incredible. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.